turn to uh, the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we will not perish, may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause has this trouble come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You may be seated. Good morning. I was mentioning this morning on the way here how much I'm enjoying this study. I hope and pray that you are as well. For those of you that are here for the first time, perhaps this morning, we are making our way through the book of Jonah. And we find ourselves this morning looking at verses 11 through 17. Finishing up chapter 1, Lord willing, here this morning. The text is building to a climax here in Jonah, chapter 1. The divine storm is going on. The ship is threatening to break up. The mariners have cast lots. And Jonah is called out as the one responsible. Questions we saw last week, came with a flurry. Jonah comes out with information. And he tells them that he's been running from the presence of the Lord. And oh, by the way, this Lord is the one who made the sea that we're currently floating on right now. He's also the God of dry land. No doubt they were longing for in the midst of the storm. The mariners, the text says, were exceedingly afraid upon hearing this, not only because of Jonah's God, 
but also due to the fact of Jonah running from his God. Why have you done this, was the question we left with last week. Why have you done this? Because you see, the idea of running from your God was hard for these mariners to understand. The gods are helpful. Why would anyone want to and desire to run from their God? You see, there's a perception that's given to us in the text that if if God is who He says He is, why are you not walking in obedience? You see, the mariners didn't phrase it that way, but really that's... That was their idea. They couldn't understand, they couldn't see why Jonah would go contrary, opposite of the direction that his God was calling him to go. You see, the testimony of your life, church, communicates a testimony about who God is. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, does your life back that up? Many are the mariners in the world. And they are watching you too. They're watching. They see you living and can tell whether you mean what you say. They notice whether God is real to you. Whether you make an effort to live according to God's ways. And they may not fully understand God's ways but they can pick up on whether your God makes a difference in your life. So, now the mariners have information, don't they? They've been given information. They have some of the facts that they were seeking frantically to obtain. What to do with the information you receive? That's the next step for the mariners. What to do with the information you receive? What are they going to do with what they now know about Jonah? And I was thinking about wisdom. You know, applying the knowledge. Being able to apply knowledge in a discerning manner. I was thinking about James chapter 3 and poses the question, who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And then verse 17 gives us a definition. The wisdom that is from above. You want to know what the wisdom from above looks like? James gives us a great picture. James 3, 17. Here's what it looks like. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You see, Jonah seemingly is the cause for the trouble these mariners are in. So what to do now? They remain in the midst of crisis management. We've been talking about this. They're still in the midst of the crisis. How are they going to navigate this crisis with the new information available to them? Look at verse 11. Then they said to him, to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. So having pinpointed the cause for their trouble, the mariners go to Jonah. At this point, the divine storm has made quite an impression on these mariners. Fear is widespread. The ship is being tossed. Cargo has been thrown overboard. Gods have been pursued. Lots have been cast. 
do not look past the fact that the mariners go to Jonah for a solution to the trouble. The mariners go to Jonah for input on what to do here. I find this quite interesting. Up to this point in the test, uh, right here in the text, we see that Jonah has not made, has he? He's not made very wise decisions. There hasn't been a whole lot of wisdom exhibited by Jonah up to this point in the text. And yet we see the mariners go to Jonah and ask him about what they ought to do to him. (laughs) Think about the question for a moment. The troubler has been identified. And they go to the troubler to see what his input is. Now, whether it was because they valued Jonah or perhaps they had a greater fear of Jonah's God. They asked Jonah the question pertaining to his own pending judgment. (laughs) You know, and looking at this, all the more reason for us to take notice of what the mariners do here. See, because at this point still, they're, they're apart from God, though no doubt fearful of him, Fearful of the storm that they now see, at least in part, that God has orchestrated. And yet we see, it seems, a touch of compassion in going to Jonah and asking. They do seem to care about him. They appear to have his best interests in mind. And the question in verse 11 comes, according to the text due to the fact that the sea was growing more tempestuous. See, at the end of verse 11, the question, and then it says, for the sea was growing more tempestuous. So you get the idea. They ask this question in light of the fact the storm's growing more violent. So they're asking the question. So having properly identified the one responsible for the divine storm. See, identifying the one responsible does not take the problem away, does it? You see, we can identify things. We can identify the trouble. We might even be able to identify sin. But you see, church, identifying sin and ridding yourself of sin are two different things. You remember the Israelites, they were going nowhere unless and until they rid themselves of the sin in the camp, right? They weren't going anywhere. And you know, I got thinking about this, whether we're talking in the home, whether we're talking in the workplace, whether we're talking in the church family here at Hope in Christ. Is it possible that you too are drifting because of sin in the camp? You've identified it, perhaps. You're able to maybe put your finger on what the trouble is. But you've not dealt with it before the Lord. Are you willing to identify and deal with your sin? Is your desire to rid sin from the camp from your household, perhaps. Or, to this point, have you been content merely talking about it and being content with simply identifying it? (laughs) In Jonah 1, verse 11, Jonah is still on board amidst the mariners. The question is, what are they going to do with Jonah? Jonah, what should we do to you? You are the source of the trouble we're in. Something needs to happen to you. Tell us what we should do to you so that the sea might be calm for us. Look at Jonah's answer. So, verse 11, we have a question. Verse 12, we have an answer. Here's his answer. And he said to them, 
pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Just as I mentioned that the question is interesting, I also find the answer interesting. What about, let's turn this ship around and go back to shore. You know, I wonder if God would have provided favorable winds to return the ship back to shore. I wonder, had Jonah simply said, I, I've sinned against my God, I need, I need to trust him when he speaks. Oh, no, by the way, in the midst of his repentant heart, my God punishes sin and does it justly. He's a righteous judge, and, and he'll not condone the sin of man. And I realize, mariners, that you guys might not fully understand and know my God right now, but guys, i got to tell you something. You too are accountable for your sin with this God that I serve. You can continue sailing ships. You can continue going and traveling from point A to point B, calling upon your own gods. But with my God, there are no excuses. You are without excuse. With that same repentant heart, you could almost imagine Jonah speaking to those mariners and saying, guys, do you hear the wind blowing? That's my God speaking. Do you see those waves crashing up on deck? That's the voice of my God. This is the God who made the seas and dry land. This God is over all creation. Guys, you need to stop with all the little gods. Throw those gods overboard with the rest of the cargo. They're useless. Guys, God has been getting my attention, but he wants to get your attention as well. Don't ignore him, men. I did, and here I am, the target of God's just punishment. See, I think about the opportunity Jonah had to impact these mariners for the Lord. And yet, as you continue to read the text, you see God doing a work in the lives of these mariners anyway. <laughs> he does it anyway. Even at the expense of Jonah's disobedience. Even though Jonah has already been tossed Overboard, right? And in a moment, he's going to get there. God doesn't need you to carry out his saving work. Now, that might be humbling to some of us to think that he doesn't need you. <laughs> Don't think for one moment that he needs to keep you on board in order to get his message out. See, because his ways, his thoughts are higher than yours. Now, a sovereign king, church, can orchestrate salvation on his own apart from your input. God can dispense his justice righteously upon Jonah and at the same time dispense his mercy upon the mariners. Our God can do that. So the answer Jonah gives in verse 12, I believe, is, is quite interesting. Instead of giving an answer to save his own skin, he provides an answer that ultimately would end his life. Throw me overboard. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Did Jonah have any prior knowledge of God sending big fish to rescue prophets of old? 
I don't see evidence of it in the text. Did he have faith that God would be able to rescue him from the sea? That's a different question. Did he wonder whether this departure from the ship would be his last hurrah? (laughs) This is it. Did he see his answer as a means of coming clean before God, this God who controlled the sea? One writer said the storm is to Jonah the voice of God. Did he see his answer as a final means of escaping the situation? In other words, I'd rather die than go follow what my Lord has said and go to Nineveh and preach to these wicked people. I'd rather just die. I'd just throw me overboard. I'd rather just die. So the text poses a question by the mariners. An answer in verse 12 given by Jonah. And then the mariners begin taking action. In verse 13, we're going to see three actions. Okay? Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So action number one, row. Row. The text says that the mariners tried to row back to land. And you know, this tells me a lot about these mariners. These guys valued life. These mariners valued life. They were willing to go to great lengths to save one life. One One life that had brought all the trouble they were now in. I was thinking about Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, Jonah was commissioned by God to preach against Nineveh. And while no other man can have the scope of influence like that of Christ, who became obedient to death on the cross, paying for the sins of his people once for all time, is it possible that you have discounted the influence you have been given being in Christ? Have you lost sight of the Spirit of Christ in you? One life does matter. Amen? One life matters. And these mariners are doing what they can to save Jonah. They act by rowing hard to land. I wonder if Jonah joined them in the effort. I tend to think not. But I wonder, here's Jonah watching these men scramble amidst the chaos of a storm. A storm, at this point, increasing in measure. Imagine what's going through his mind as these mariners risk their very lives to save his own. They're willing to give every effort to see that Jonah makes it safely to land. You see, Jonah forfeits his assignment to Nineveh. The lives of many are at stake. Eternal destinies. And Jonah is on the run from God's assignment. The mariners here in the text are trying to save him. And yet Jonah, as a man of God, wants nothing to do with those Assyrians. Wants nothing to do with them. He doesn't want to think of the possibility of God blessing those Ninevites. No way. Not going to do it. The walls have been erected. Perhaps he thinks he's doing Israel a favor by his disobedience. (laughs) Perhaps. As though God couldn't act without him. See, Jonah at this point, though, seems bent 
on disobedience. And yet look at what the text presents before him. A group of mariners striving to row him back to land. These guys are trying hard to preserve his life. They may be hardened men of the sea. But they have some compassion. They have a sense of valuing life. Jonah sees this and no doubt, no doubt God used this scene to further prick Jonah's conscience. This is so God saying, Jonah, look at what these men are doing. These men are willing to risk their lives for you. And yet, you're willing to walk away from many thousands who need to hear my word. After some time, text doesn't tell us how long, but after some time, the mariners realize that rowing isn't going to work. Not because of any lack of effort on their end. The text says they could not. They could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So perhaps at this point, Jonah's answer in verse 12 is looking better and better at this point, right now. And yet the mariners take one more action first, according to the text. Look at verse 14. Therefore they cried out to the Lord. And they said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What's the second action? Pray. Pray. Row. Now they're praying. And as we see the prayer here, you know, if we look back at verse 6, we see Jonah is awakened by the captain. Remember that back in verse 6. He's called to arise and what? Pray to his God. Perhaps your God will consider us and we will not perish. You fast forward now to verse 14. And the mariners themselves are taking action through prayer. Not to their own gods though. This is the first time in the text where you see evidence of the mariners crying out to Jonah's God. They cry out to Yahweh. They pray to Yahweh. This is no grasping for other gods. This is an earnest petition to the God of the seas and dry land. And yet again, I can't help but think Jonah's conscience is pricked. These mariners are willing to row back to land. They're willing to cry out to Yahweh, Jonah's God. And yet Jonah, to this point in the text, remains prayerless. The man of God stands by while the mariners pray. What exactly do they pray? Well, first of all, they say, please do not let us perish for this man's life. I believe there's some desperation that characterizes this first plea. Concern that they might perish is still evident right here in verse 14. They're calling out to God that they might not perish for this man's life. What about this man's life? Well, the mariners have seen a man running from God. They've seen all around them a work of God. Winnowing his judgment upon this particular man, Jonah. And having seen evidence of the storm growing stronger, the mariners are starting to see their own lives in a temporary light. Lord, please, 
And the mariners have been about their business. And here comes this man Jonah on board. No doubt they gladly took his fare. Yet they had no idea what was coming. This man who's on the run from you, oh Lord, please do not let us us perish for his life. So you see, there's concern for their own lives right here in this prayer. Petition to the Lord. But the text goes on and says, And do not charge us with innocent blood. And crying out to God, the mariners ask him not to charge them with innocent blood. You see, the men had hoped to row Jonah safely to shore, but they couldn't. The wind and the waves prevented them from getting back to land. The lots came up Jonah. Jonah's story had been heard. Jonah is guilty, far from innocent. Lord, please do not charge us with innocent blood. And you get greater insight into these words when you keep reading in the text. Look at the rest of that prayer. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. We made efforts, Lord, to save this man, but we're no match for your providential storm. You've orchestrated things according to your desire. You've seen to these things according to your pleasure. Since that's the case, please do not charge us with innocent blood. We're doing what Jonah said for us to do. He's your man. So we're coming before you asking that you would hear our petition. See, the Lord does the very things that please Him in His way, in His own timing, for His own good purposes. We know from the testimony of Scripture that His Word does not return to Him void. And so we keep going in the text. There's one more action taken by the mariners. Look at verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. So we have row, pray. Here's the third action. Throw. They picked him up and they threw him into the sea. Jonah, if you recall back in verse 12, told them to do this in response to their initial question in verse 11. And as you continue reading the text, you start to see the wonder of God using both the mariners and Jonah in his judgment. See, he uses Jonah's answer, toss me into the sea. The mariners are the means by which Jonah arrives in the sea. They literally pick him up and they hurl him into the sea. Jonah delivered his own just judgment to the mariners who in time carry out the judgment by physically removing him from the ship and casting him into the sea. I want you to look at the text in verse 15. Look at the result of Jonah in the sea. There's a result from this third action. And the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah lands in the sea. And the sea ceases, stops from its raging. The mariners see immediate evidence of the hand of God at work. Jonah goes flying overboard. His feet hit the water. And at the command of God, the sea stops its raging. There's a noticeable difference Once Jonah hits the water. The mariners start to realize that a calm sea is good news for them. Perhaps they're not going to have to perish for this man's life. The mariners start to wonder 
and maybe solidify in their minds that this man, Jonah, was truly being judged for running from the Lord. By the looks of things, it seems that Jonah wasn't innocent. (laughs) The raging sea that had been present just a moment ago is now gone. And in the minds of the mariners, the timing of such a thing could not be some mere coincidence. Perhaps what we did pleased the Lord. Is it possible that that God is showing himself to be not simply a God who works, but a God we can trust? A God who is just? A God who holds all things in his hands? Perhaps. You see, God has orchestrated the events on the sea exactly as he saw fit. And the wonderful works of God are put on display for the mariners to see. A sea ceased from its raging. But the mariners, are they simply content with the fact that the sea is not raging anymore? That the sea is calm now? I believe verse 16 provides a window into the aftermath of Jonah being cast into the sea. Look at verse 16. Then the men, the mariners, feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So, as a result of seeing with their own eyes the work of the Lord, these waterlogged mariners do three things, according to the text. They do three things. First of all, text says they feared the Lord, they feared Yahweh exceedingly. If you just look at the text and you see the progression of these mariners, probably a better way to say that is, you see the progression of God working in the lives of the mariners. Chapter 1, verse 5, they were afraid of what? The storm. This was a storm unlike any other storm they'd encountered on the sea. In verse 10, chapter 1, the men were exceedingly afraid. Why? They were exceedingly afraid because they found out, they got some information from Jonah. They found out he'd been running from the presence of the Lord. And this Lord of Jonah's is is the Lord over the sea and the dry land. And now here in verse 16, we see the men feared the Lord. They feared Yahweh himself exceedingly. After seeing evidence of his work with the sea. There's a progression here. Fear of the storm progressed to a fear of the one who brought the storm. Proverbs 9 verse 10 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. As we consider that, you know, for, for you reading the text, looking at the text and responding to the text, some of you have seen the hand of God at work in your life, amen? I hope you have. The fear of the Lord. We think about some of these attributes of our Lord, His holiness, His power, His sovereignty. It's the beginning The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of this God alone is understanding. Side note. Some of you here have knowledge about a lot of different things. The Lord's given that to you and it's a wonderful thing. Some of you, perhaps knowledge that you have is helpful for you in what you do at your workplace and you're able to do what you do well because of the knowledge the Lord has given to you. Some of you have taken it upon yourself to gain knowledge about things. To gain knowledge about subject matters. To gain knowledge about little details and intricacies that, quite frankly, don't matter at all. What are you gaining knowledge of? What are you pursuing knowledge of? Church, from the text, I... 
one of the applications, one of the responses here in terms of the knowledge, I hope and pray that as a body, we're pursuing knowledge of the Holy One. Because knowledge of the Holy One, the text says in the Proverbs, it's understanding. Not from other things, but knowledge of who He is. And we've already, to this point in the text in Jonah 1, spoken of defining and being real clear about who this God is. They feared the Lord exceedingly. What else? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh. We don't have very many details in the text. I believe as best as they knew how, they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh. (laughs) And you think about someone, I was just thinking about someone who is new in Christ. And you know, someone who's new, they they just are, you know, they just do it how how they can at the point. Right? I mean, we see, we may call it rough around the edges or raw or whatever the word terminology you want to use. But the fact is, they're just giving themselves to the Lord. They're offering a sacrifice unto the Lord in their own way. And it's a very beautiful picture. You know, in fact, I was thinking about as I was reading this. Um, turn, if you will, hold Jonah and then turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And I'll begin reading in verse 23. Listen to this. Those who go down to the sea in ships. Does that sound familiar? Who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind. Which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Boy, does this sound like Jonah? Then they are glad because they are quiet. No doubt the mariners were glad. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and cry for his wonderful works, or excuse me, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Church, I, I was reminded in reading that psalm and looking at what these mariners are doing and offering a sacrifice to the Lord. Do you take time to offer God a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving when you see him at work in your lives? This is what the mariners were doing. They did one other thing, according to the text. They took vows unto the Lord, unto Yahweh, no doubt. No longer did their multiple gods interest them. The God of Jonah had caught their attention. Yes, he worked for them. He worked for what their desire was, but it's different now. See, early on, I believe it was their desire to see God work for them. Now there's some greater level, there's some greater dependency, some greater trust in this God of Jonah, this Lord who made the heavens, seas, dry land. The text doesn't give us many details here, but they took vows unto Jonah's God. And I tend to believe that these men were changed as a result of being in the ship, listen to this, they were changed as a result of being in the ship with a disobedient Jonah. And I was thinking about some of you here today. You may not like being on board the same ship. But God has some lessons for you to learn in the process. The God of heaven and earth does not waste your painful, difficult, trying experiences. He sharpens you through them. He tests you through them. 
Are you going to rely on me? Are you going to trust me through this? John chapter 6. I believe it's John 6. Remember Jesus is feeding 5,000. And Philip's like, well, yeah, there's too many people here. Send them home. Send them away. And I love what John says. It's sort of like a little parenthetical, and John does this quite often in his gospel. He did this in order to test him. He already knew what he was going to do. Church, he does that, I believe, all the time. He tests you. He tests me to see what we're going to do, to see if we're going to depend upon him and trust him in the midst of, through the valley of the shadow of death. And so ends the mariner's account in the book of Jonah. But, beneath the surface, behind the scenes, I love this part. God is not done with Jonah. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Here's the fish. This is where the fish comes in. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so, you know, whatever you might think about Jonah's answer back in verse 12, whatever his motive behind the answer, you see right here that the Lord had prepared a great fish. <laughs> the, the heart of God at work behind the scenes, and in this case, under the water. orchestrating a great fish to catch his disobedient servant. Is that an oxymoron? A disobedient servant. <laughs> See, on one hand, you might think it harsh that God would take his child through such an ordeal. How could God do that? Have his prophet Jonah in a fish. On the other hand, you might think it merciful that God does not give up on Jonah. Jonah might be thinking as he's being cast into the sea, it's all over. It's all done. But God shows up and delivers his great fish right on time to swallow Jonah. But for a time, as we'll see. And so the response here He may very well be doing the same thing with you. You might feel swallowed up by a great fish of your own. Confined. Locked in. You have nowhere to go. Except to God. Church, that's right where he wants you. It's right where he desires you to be. Sometimes it takes a belly of the fish experience to get your attention. You're not listening to him. You keep doing your own thing. God says, listen to me. And he sees you continuing to walk in disobedience. If the God of heaven can prepare such a great salvation for you in advance and prepare good works for you to do in advance, don't you think he can bring a great fish into your life, something he's prepared in advance to get your attention? You see, your decisions up to this point, they don't surprise God. This morning, he may very well be getting your attention. 
Do not ignore the Lord. Crises will continue to come in your life. We've spoken about this. At the point of disobedience. This crisis of the heart between you and the Lord. The Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He's full of compassion, long-suffering toward you, so that you might repent of your sin, turn from your disobedience, and not perish. Today may be for you a wake-up call. I pray you would hear him calling you. Unto himself. Allow Jonah's account to stir within you a resolve to follow the Lord at his word. To walk in his truth. And to forsake him no longer. Let's pray. Lord God, the one who's made the heavens and the sea by your great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. Father, we see testimony of how great you are in this first chapter of Jonah. We see your heart put on display in this first chapter of Jonah. We see how you are dealing with your servant Jonah. We see how you are dealing with these mariners and how you orchestrated a change in the lives of these men. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that this is a sure word of testimony that we can stand upon. The psalmist says that your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Father, we praise you for that. Oh, Lord, this morning I pray that we would have eyes open, ears opened. You would allow us to see. You would allow us to hear this word that you've given to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit, our greatest teacher available to us in Christ, would shine his light Help us, Lord, to be able to see what we need to be doing, where we need to be going, removing our feet from certain situations if need be, Lord. Father, I pray that we would, as a church body here, be diligent to walk in obedience to the commands that you've set forth. May we learn, Lord, from what we've been reading in Jonah. And may we desire to walk in obedience. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We're grateful for that cross. We're grateful for the great exchange. Thank you for your perfect righteousness through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.